I'm here at the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco, and with me today is a special guest. How about you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Christopher Natsume. I'm one of the founders of a company called BoomZap. We're a casual game developer uh, working out of Southeast Asia. Uh, we're officially a Singaporean company, but we have people spread across Indonesia, Philippines, Malaysia, Japan, Russia, and I'm forgetting some other places. Yeah. Um, you know, you were at, you actually hosted the roundtable here at GDC on virtual office, so we can talk about that a little later. Uh, let's first talk about, you know, how, how was the startup? I mean, did, did you start this thing up in Singapore? What what was your startup experience like as, um, you know, starting up a casual game studio? Sure. Well, I came out of AAA game development. Um, about 2004, I was a producer for a game called Far Cry, uh, which was shipped by a studio called Crytek in Germany. And I was pretty tired of making AAA games. Uh, it was just a real sort of... Uh, I was tired. Uh, there was a lot of crunch, there was a lot of work, and in my mind, I was actually going to get out of games. And I went to University of Washington uh, to get my MBA. And while I was there, my, my thinking was I would go get a job as a you know, project manager at Google or something like that. And while I was there, this guy James Gortzman came and gave a lecture to our MBA class. Um, and James Gortzman had a company called Sprout, which he had sold to PopCap. And it was a casual game developer. They had a game called Feeding Frenzy. Um, and he talked all about this process and how great casual games were. And I, I looked down and I realized that it was the first time in my entire MBA program that I was actually excited about something. Yeah. And I was like, well, this is really cool. I want to I wanna make one of these. These casual game companies sound cool. And so I give him a lot of credit for it. Um, that was the end of his involvement. But So I knew I needed a programmer because I can't code. And I had a very good friend, Alan Siemenson, who lived in Singapore. And he had actually gone to Singapore because he had fallen in love with a Singaporean girl. And he had actually moved down to Singapore to be with this girl who ended up being his wife. He's now got a little daughter. Uh, they've been married, I think, six years, something like that, quite a while. Um, and so he was living in Singapore. And when we originally started talking about it, you know, my, my, my thinking was, oh, well, I'll talk Alan into moving up here to Seattle and we'll start a company in Seattle. And he was like, screw you, Chris, I'm staying in Singapore. And I was like, screw you, I'm not going to Singapore. And so we started a virtual business basically because neither one of us believed in the company enough to pack up all our stuff and move. Um, and as we started growing and we started looking at where we should find staff and where we should incorporate, uh, Alan kind of taught me more and more about Singapore and it became clear that it was kind of silly in my opinion to do the business in Seattle when there were just so many advantages to being in Singapore. You know, the labor was cheaper, there were qualified people there, Alan was on, uh, Alan was actually teaching at one of the universities there at the time and you know, he started introducing me to all this great, you know, talent that they had down there. Um, and then we started looking at the business tax structure. I mean, it's, it's like a 17% top tax rate in Singapore. Dude, it's 35 in the States. You, you can't compare, right? Um, and then, you know, the, you know, as a business owner, of course, you're paying yourself a lot in dividends. There's no dividend tax in Singapore. You can't beat that, right? It's 15% in the States, right? I mean, that's, that's money on the table. And so once we started looking at all that, and then just the sort of support that the government is willing to give down there. I mean, to, to put together a company, honestly, we, we put together the company in Singapore, and it took us about an hour and a half online to, to do everything, right? I mean, we didn't have to show up at a government office or anything. It cost us like 30 bucks. I can't remember how much it was. It was a negligible amount of money. Um, and it was done. We had a Singaporean corporation. It was totally cool. Um, so I kind of lost myself in 
of the other things that I, I, I should mention is, um, and I don't know what the grant schemes are, are now in Singapore, someone else can talk about that, but at the time, the MDA was offering grants to young game developers, and we actually got a grant from the MDA to help us out with one of our demos, and I mean, that was that was money. I mean, that was, here, have a check, go build games. And, you know, you can't beat that. It's free money, you know? Um, and it was it was relatively straightforward, and, you know, one of the one of the kind of fascinating things about Singapore is it's it's a country, but it's, you know, it's basically a big city, right? And so if you want to talk to somebody important in Singapore, it's about as difficult as getting a hold of somebody who's, like, important in a big city government. You know, if you, I mean, Alan's been to dinner with the prime minister of the country, you know, it's, and, and that's not shockingly weird. You know, a lot of people have done that because, you know, the city's only got, what, like three, four million people, something five like that? Million. It's a five million now? Well, it was three when we started. It's, oh. it's growing. Um, but I don't know how big it was, but it's... Well, what were some of the challenges as you got started? You know, it's easy to incorporate. It's, you know, that's awesome. But how do you get product? How do you get people actually do it? And what are the challenges of, you know, if you're developing in Singapore and your market is in the U.S., how are you going to actually deal with the cultural issues? Well, one of the things you have to understand about Singapore is it is a really small little country. And it, it's not like, a, like France or something where there's like the backwoods of Singapore. They don't have backwoods. They have a city. <laughs> um, and so the backwoods of Singapore is the rest of Southeast Asia. And so it, it, when, you're, when you're doing business in Singapore, it's not just about having a company in Singapore. What a lot of people are doing, and, and it's a very smart way to do it, is to think of Singapore as kind of like the New York of Southeast Asia, right? And all around Singapore, there are great cities with great labor and great people. There's Kuala Lumpur, there's Manila, there's Jakarta, there's, you know, uh, there's just a whole bunch of other places around there. Uh, and our staff is built largely from those places. So we have Singaporeans in the studio, we have Indonesians in the studio, we have Filipinos in the studio. And, and it's sort of a normal thing down there to think of Singapore as the place where you would headquarter a business that works like that. Um, and so when we were looking for staff, obviously we looked for staff in Singapore, uh, but we looked for staff around Singapore as well. But one of the, you know, one of the other nice things about Singapore is it's an extraordinarily corruption-free city. Um, like doing business there is very straightforward. The banking is very straightforward. The, the government's not going to hit you up for cash, you know. But I can't really say that about some of the other countries in Southeast Asia, right? I mean, it's there's a lot of corruption in. in yeah. I won't name names, but in other countries, and it's nice to know that. Your business and your money and your investment and your bank accounts and all of that are in, I, I think they do these ridiculous corruption studies. And Singapore comes out as like one of the three least corrupt countries in the world. I think it comes out above US um, year after year. And um, so how long did it take to um, get your first game out? Well, our first game was crap. I mean, I'll say that out loud. Uh, it was a terrible, terrible little game. Uh, and it took us about six months to put together. But for us, it was how we built our technology. It's how we built our tools. It's how we kind of built the structure of the company that we built. Um, we do downloadable casual games. And generally, they take all of them have taken us somewhere between six and eight months to do. And how big are the teams usually? Because isn't that very different than you know your console days when? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so how did you adjust to the change? Or was it easy? Was it just much more convenient anyways? It was sweet is what yeah. it was. Um, I came from, you know, when I worked at Crytek, I was managing a team of, I think there were 75, 80 people when I left. And, you know, our whole company now is 35 people, and that's six teams plus a support team. Uh, our normal game development team for downloadable casual game is somewhere between six and uh, five and eight people, depending on what stage of the process they're in. Uh, and that's just a way easier to manage. It's way nicer. You can do things a lot faster, a lot easier. 
Um, so that's been good. And um, so, you know, you, you gave a, you hosted a roundtable on virtual offices in Game Developers Conference. Um, so basically, you're running this virtual company. You don't really have people meeting in person. Can you talk more about that and how, as a small developer, it allows you to become competitive and much more productive or effective? Well, I mean, first of all, it's cheap. I mean, we don't pay money for anything but labor, essentially. I don't buy computers or software or desks or offices or anything. Uh, and that's great. I mean, we have like a 98% of our total cash burn in a month is labor. You can't beat that. So that's been good. Uh, what's also been nice is it's allowed us to really expand our search for where we can find staff. Uh, you know, we can, we can look anywhere in the world that we want to find good people and, and we can hire them without having to convince them to pack up all their crap and move somewhere. Uh, for us, and you know, one thing you do have to understand about Singapore is it is an expensive city in Southeast Asia. You know, by far it's the most expensive cost of living in Southeast Asia. And for a lot of people, the model has always been, if I do well in Manila, and I, you know, I really break it in Manila, then I get to move to Singapore. But the problem is you move to Singapore and you make a hell of a lot more money, but it costs a hell of a lot more money to live in Singapore. And so we've been able to say, you know, hey guy in Manila, we'll pay you kind of what you get paid in Singapore, but you get to stay in Manila where that money's worth a lot more. And so for us, that's been a real competitive advantage, not just against uh, American studios, but actually a competitive advantage against other, other studios in Singapore that are paying all their staff in Singapore and having to fight the cost of living there. Um, you know, one of the things that happened in Singapore recently was a lot of big studios moved in. You can check me. I think Ubisoft is down there, Koei is down there, LucasArts is down there. Um, I'm trying to remember who else. There's someone else big I'm forgetting. EA was down there. And, you know, these are big multinational corporations. They pay a lot of money. And so it's very difficult for us to fight them for labor costs. You know, EA is going to pay more than we do. Yeah. And so we can say, well, rather than moving to Singapore and working for EA and getting this big big check, but then spending it all back out in, you know, overpriced housing, uh, you can stay in Jakarta, where that same check is like a, a fortune. You know, the cost of living is like one-fourth or one-fifth there. Um, what tools are you using then to, to make people feel like they're part of you know, uh, in office um, so that, you know, they feel like they're part of a team and stuff like that. The biggest tool we use is Basecamp, uh, which is hands down the best piece of collaborative software available. Uh, I'm a what about Skype? I think in, in the talk or in the round table you mentioned Skype. We do use Skype. Um, we use we use Skype for voice over IP. Um, we also use MSN for chatting. Um, okay, yeah, so, so Skype. Um, what's... Yeah, so we, we use Skype for voice over IP a lot. Uh, we don't actually use the, the you know, looking at each other feature of it very much. We, we're usually working in our underwear, so I don't think we like to look at each other very much. Um, we do use the screen feature where you can actually, you know, show each other the screens. And that's useful for like, you know, here, this is broken, and let me point at it and show you what's wrong. That's valuable to us. But honestly, the biggest piece of software we use is Basecamp. Uh, we do a lot of work with that. We don't use email very much at all uh, because it's nice to have everything in, in one place. And in the roundtable, you mentioned the concept of like, a, like the same wage for everyone. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, actually, it's, it's a, a bit of a funny story. I was having an argument with one of our publishers about the fact that they said, you know, hey, you're a Southeast Asian studio and your labor is cheaper, so we should pay you less for this game. And I was like, that's crap. You know, if we're going to deliver equal quality to our competitors, then we ought to get equal pay to our competitors. That makes sense, right? And, you know, they, they critically couldn't get that. And I, I thought the idea that, you know, paying a Southeast Asian less just because they're Southeast Asian sounded suspiciously racist to me. Um, and so I go back and I'm all proud of myself for having this argument and I'm explaining this to my staff. And they're like, yeah, so why do you pay the Filipinos less than Singaporeans? And I was like, oh, 
well, I guess you caught me there. And so after I kind of realized I was being a hypocrite, we said, all right, well, we're going to change that. And we created a flat wage policy where we said people with equal quality of talent are going to earn the same amount of money regardless of where they live. And originally we pegged that to Singaporean salaries, but the Singaporean salary rates went up pretty fast and hard, and we couldn't quite keep up with it. So we pay right now kind of a crappy Singaporean wage, uh, but we pay a very good Malaysian wage, a very, very good Filipino wage, and an incredible Indonesian wage, uh, which is all the exact same amount of money. Yeah. Um, but again, it, it saves us, you know, one of the arguments we had is we had an artist in the Philippines, and he said, you know, if you pay more for Singaporeans, can I move to Singapore and get a raise? Yeah. And we thought, well, that sucks. You know, if, if we do that, everyone will move to Singapore. What to give everyone a raise? Um, so we said, all right, that's it. It doesn't matter where you live. You're in the same amount of money. And that seemed a lot more fair to us. Um, and with that change, we also said, you know what, to prove that we're doing this, let's have transparent finances. And so we actually opened our books to everyone in the staff. Um, there's a spreadsheet that has all of our revenues listed, has my salary, everyone else's salary, our, our expenses, everything's in it. And anyone in, the, anyone in the company who wants to take a look at it is welcome to look at it. So everybody in the company knows what everybody else earns. They know what our revenues are from our publishers. And it keeps us real honest, actually. Uh, people told us we couldn't do that with a big studio, but we do it with 35 people. Doesn't bug me. So. And um, what would you say are the top learning lessons that you've had from running a virtual office then? Oh, goodness. Um, I would say the, the top three or top two. I would say the biggest thing is you have to start giving the people you're working with a lot of freedom to work in the way that they want to work. Micromanaging people in a virtual relationship just doesn't work. You, you can't stand over their shoulder and say, like, you know, put this pixel there. That, that, you can't. You go crazy if you try to do that. And so you just have to take a lot of the authority over the product and say, all right, team, go figure this out yourselves. Go, go sort this out yourselves. One of the big things I always tell people is, I think when people think about managing people, they think about it wrong. They think, I had this idea, and did this staff return to me the thing that I expected? And if they did, it's good, and if they didn't, it's bad. And we don't think like that. We think more like, I asked the team to do this thing, and they returned something. And I evaluate that thing in a vacuum and say, is this thing that they returned good for our customer? And it doesn't matter if it's what I had thought of or what I expected. We just judge whether or not it's good for our customer. And it may be entirely separate from what I thought it was going to be, but I'm not going to change it just because I have a really small penis and think that I have to you know, make them make it like I want it. Um, and that's worked pretty well for us. And so what's next in store for your studio? Um, you know, you, you mentioned the greatness of um, the fun of Southeast Asia. Are you thinking of moving everything then toward to that area? Um, are you thinking of leaving the U.S., maybe doing your indie studio in Singapore, or well, I mean, we are keeping there. the current model? Yeah. We, we, we are there. there there's, we don't have anybody in America. Uh, I, thought, I thought, oh, no one. Okay, no I, one. I, okay, I, I thought live you, in Yokohama. So you have, okay, so you have your business, part of your business structure is in the U.S. We have a mailbox and a bank account and a contract lawyer and a contract accountant in Seattle, and that's the extent of our American involvement. Uh, I live in Japan. I'm the only part of the company in Japan. Everybody else is in Southeast Asia, except we have two uh, workers in Siberia. Okay. Well, I stand corrected. So what's, what's, next, um, what's next for the studio? In terms of product or in terms Yeah, in terms of product and maybe even just, do you feel that you can grow your studio more now that it's, you know, it's a virtual studio? I mean, do you feel that 35 is a nice rate? Um, 
what, what's your feeling on all this? We're not sold on the idea of growth for the purpose of growth. Like, I don't feel like, man, if we were 100 people, we'd be better. The honest truth is, if we could have the same revenues with three people, that, yeah. that would rock, awesome. right? Yeah. And so, I mean, in my dream world, we don't grow ever. So maybe you start developing MMOs or what? Well, I mean, I, I think what we're probably going to do is diversify our product lineup a little bit. Right now, we, we're largely on PC, Mac, downloadable, casual games. And we're seeing a lot of movement onto iPad and iPhone, and we're growing that part of our business. And that, that's required us to hire in some more people who are specialists for that. Um, so I think we'll probably grow in that direction. But I, you know, I don't have any dreams that, like, next year we'll be 60. Like, I would, I'm, I'm kind of happy. At, we were really happy at 25, but we had to go to 35 to achieve the goals that we needed to achieve. Uh, I don't I don't have a big dream of like man if we could just hire more people then we'd be really cool uh, I'm not sold on that and where can listeners find out more information about your games either play your games or I don't know <laughs> well I mean obviously you can go to our website which is just uh, boomzap.com uh, how do you spell that b-o-o-m-z-a-p that's right yeah that's it um, all of our games are there um, so yeah that's probably the best place to go there's also actually uh, we have a we have a, a blog there that actually has links to a lot of information about the way we run our business and so awesome. stuff there as well. Okay. Thank you very much.